the road from Damascus. Abdullah Kurdi was displaced from his home for a decade before he became the lightning rod for a story of our times. Originally from Kobani in northern Syria, he moved to Damascus a decade ago with his brother and his father, where he settled in the mostly Kurdish neighbourhood of Run al-Din on the slopes of Mount Quazon. Before he moved to the Syrian capital, Abdullah had been among the thousands of Syrian Kurds who had sought work in provincial towns and cities across the nation due to poor job prospects in the country's Kurdish regions. But when the Syrian civil war began after the Arab Spring uprisings of 2011, his life in Damascus became perilous. Struggling to make a living amid the instability brought by the violent protests between the opposition and the Syrian government, he returned to Kobani in 2012. There he married his cousin, Rehena, and opened a barber shop, but he struggled to make a stable income due to the civil war's draining effect on the economy. His income shrank to a tenth of what he'd made in Damascus, a challenge compounded by the birth of the couple's first son, Gahit. Unable to pay the rent, Abdullah was forced to close the shop only four months after its opening. To make ends meet, he left his wife and baby son to take a job in a cement factory in Tal Abyad, a border town 70 kilometres east of Kobani. When government forces retreated from the Raqqa government at the end of 2012, the Islamist groups Ara al-Sham and al-Nusra Front took control of the strategic border town. Abdullah was forced to flee again when our Nursa thugs began persecuting Kurds in the town and surrounding villages. Returning to Gabani briefly, he then crossed the border alone into Turkey in search of work and safety from persecution. He moved into a share house in Istanbul and worked in a factory 25 kilometres away, but he struggled to survive because of the high commuting costs. He stayed for 18 months and returned to Gabani every few months to see his family and to pass over his tiny savings. During this time, the couple conceived their second son, Alan, who was born in August of 2013. In September 2014, the situation in Kobani worsened after the Islamic State militant group launched a major offensive on the city. Most of Kobani was quickly overrun, and Rahana and her sons joined the hundreds of thousands of refugees that were forced to flee. While most Kobanis fled to refugee camps in Suruk, close to Kobani, Rehenna and her sons escaped to Turkey to join Abdullah in the Ayyub neighbourhood of Istanbul. There the young family of four scraped by for a year, but their financial situation was precarious, with Abdullah doing only odd jobs on building sites. In good months he could earn 800 Turkish liras, but sometimes much less. To ease their hardship, Abdullah's sister, Tima, who had left Syria for Canada 20 years earlier, wired Abdullah 400 lira a month to pay for the family's rent. With Tima's encouragement, Abdullah and his brother Muhammad made the first attempt to enter Europe at the beginning of 2015. Their plan was to make safe passage and then sponsor Rahana and their children from there. The brothers tried to cross the sea, 
from Edim in southwestern Turkey, but the mission failed after Greek border guards caught them and handed them over to Turkish border police. After his brother Muhammad made a second successful trip into Europe, Abdullah decided to try again. He paid a smuggler $4,000, which his sister had given him, to spirit his young family across the Mediterranean to the Greek island of Kos, and then perhaps to Canada, where his sister had applied for their resettlement as refugees in Canada. Like many of the 300,000 refugees who had fled Europe by water that year, Abdullah and Rahana knew some of the risks they faced, and might have heard of the bodies and maritime debris that were washing up on Turkish and Greek beaches. But by that stage they felt they had no other choice for a better life if they could just make a ten-minute boat ride across the water. At 11pm on the evening of 1 September 2015, Abdullah and his family boarded a small, motorised, inflatable dinghy in the Akyar area of Turkey's Bodrum Peninsula. Sixteen people were in the dinghy, which was designed for a maximum of eight. It was one of two boats carrying a total of 23 people that set off that night, bound for Koz. The water was calm when they set off, but everything changed only five minutes later. The skipper of the little inflatable saw the sea was too rough to make the crossing and tried to turn back. He panicked when he saw the high waves and he jumped into the sea, leaving Abdullah in charge of the steering. Moments later, the dinghy capsized and for the next three hours, Abdullah tried to keep his wife and tiny sons alive in the broiling water. He thrashed about in the darkness, shuttling between Little Allen, then to Galib, and then to Rihanna. In later news reports, he described lifting his children onto the side of the dinghy and begging them to cling to the deflating vessel, but slowly they slipped from his grasp. Only Abdullah survived, while the two-year-old Alan, five-year-old Galib, and their mother Rahana were among a dozen people who drowned that night in the Black Sea. The next morning, images of Alan's body, which was found washed ashore, flashed across the world. Abdullah and his family are part of the biggest refugee crisis the world has seen since World War II. In 2016, it was reported that 65 million people around the globe were stateless and seeking a new homeland. These individuals were forcibly displaced because of persecution, conflict, violence and human rights violations. Abdullah fled persecution at home. He sought shelter on an island that didn't want him, and his family died near the shores of a land that perhaps wanted him least of all. In 2015, worsening conditions for refugees in Syria and the wider region saw a million refugees enter Europe, with half this number coming from Syria alone. Nearly all came by sea, and in that year alone, 3,692 men, women and children perished trying to make the fateful crossing. Aid organisations, NGOs and some governments have opened their hearts and their borders to the world's 65 million stateless and homeless people. But too many nations have turned a blind eye. Even if all these people find a new home, they will probably never return to the land of their ancestry 
and their children and grandchildren will probably lose the stories and language and deep-rootedness of home. The atoms that make up our bodies are the same as those that comprise the land, the sea, the air and the cosmos. In the long history of the universe, the atoms in our bodies have been recycled and reconstituted billions of times and taken form in countless beings and entities. This atomic and historical fact means we are the world, but our amnesia and myopia mean few of us realise our intimate connectedness with life and death's eternal truths. The world isn't outside us, it's literally within us, and dissolving the duality that externalises the world and humanity is the root of our spiritual homelessness. From this perspective, we are deathless, eternal, whole, and always dwelling in our spiritual home. We lack nothing, and when we wake up to our indivisible nature, we can become the one we're longing for. This awakening ends suffering and seeking and fear, and is the subject of thousands of books, but perhaps none so eloquent and simple as Falling into Grace by the American writer Adyashante. This may sound removed from the realities of life, such as the fate confronting Syria's refugees, for whom finding safety and safe passage to a new home seems impossible. Maybe it is. But finding one's spiritual sense of home is no less difficult in the affluent West, where increasing numbers of people live in relative isolation, almost never talking to their neighbours or family or friends. Feeling a deep sense of belonging is also a challenge for those of us living in megacities that never sleep. The same goes for billions of people tethered to screens and electronic devices. Too many of us are living outside of nature and the rhythms of life that bring groundedness, connectedness, wonder and sanity. If we had the eyes to see and the hearts to feel, our home and salvation might be found in the most unlikely of places, which brings us to the extraordinary wisdom and beauty of the White Helmets, the subject of our next chapter. <laughs>